We are uh, breaking out of our series in the book of Matthew so that we can deal with this particular topic this morning. Uh, the topic, of course, is uh, Mother's and Mother's Day. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about, well, talking to our, our one graduate that we have this year. And uh, uh, it'll be all for you, Maggie. So we'll want you front and center here where I can talk right at you. Uh, she knows I'm kidding. All right. No, you can sit anywhere you want. All right, uh, we're going to be talking about mothers. You know, mothers, uh, children can be difficult, and sometimes it's hard to go on at various days, but you never know what you're raising uh, or raising for the Lord. There were some parents that had a little boy. They had almost given up on him. By the time he was four years old, he had never said a word. He said his, word, his first word when he was age four, and they thought something's wrong with this kid. And then he wasn't able to read till he was age seven, and that's a little bit out of the ordinary, and they had given up hope. But later on, uh, everybody knew him. He was a guy that was named Albert Einstein. There was another little boy, and uh, he stuttered terribly when he was little. His family said he'd become a great disappointment to them because he just didn't achieve anything. Somebody else said that he was really not very smart and would never go anywhere in the world. And he grew up to be a guy by the name of Winston Churchill. So uh, don't give up. You don't know what you're, what you're raising out there. God's with you. There are many significant women in the Bible, and I could have chosen a number of them, but I didn't. I just chose, in honor of Mother's Day today, uh, to pick out three women out of the Bible, and I'm going to ask you to follow, follow me in the Bible with that as we look at them this morning. Two of them, I'm going to talk to you by, about them by name, and the last one is going to be implied today. Uh, we're going to use the first two women in order to get us thinking about some things for that third woman. The first two women are, number one, the first one was called the mother of all the living. And the second mother we're going to be bringing up was the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now we know them as Eve, the first mother, and then Mary, who, by the way, whose name in the Greek text is Miriam. And that's our second mother, and our third mother is you. So you have to put your name in on that place. So we have Eve, we have Mary, and then we have you. And uh, that's what we really want to focus on today. And I want to talk about these other two mothers so that we can talk about you as a mother. So if you will, follow me. Uh, I want you to follow me from the beginning when we start talking about Eve all the way to Mary, and then to today, when we're going to be talking about you. So if you have your Bibles with you, I hope you do, please turn to Genesis chapter 2, and I'm going to be looking mostly at verse 18 here for a minute. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. And there we are going to learn some things. I'm going to kind of add a few extra things in here at this number one point, if you're following along in your bulletin. Number one, Genesis 2.18, the mother of all the living, and that's Eve, and she's called that in chapter 3, verse 20. The mother of all the living also caused pain for every mother to follow. All right, this one woman caused it so every woman that came after her who's going to be a mother is going to experience pain in her life. The first thing that we notice is that there is no one on planet Earth who ever had perfect parents. The first man and the first lady had no parents, so we can't even count them. But it says in Genesis 2.18, Then Yahweh God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. 
Now, I'm going to be talking about a little bit about those uh, particulars in that verse. But what I want you to know is Adam and Eve were very real persons. They were just like us. They were real in that sense. They just didn't have a mother and a father because God had created them. I also want you to know in this that we just finished a creation narrative in chapter 1 and chapter 2 in terms of where Genesis is going. And everything that God made, God looked at it and he said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And he said some things are very good. But when we get to this particular place, we find out that God for the first time has said, as he looks at his creation, it is not good. And what is not good was man being alone. I mean, who's going to tell us where to drive if we don't have a woman, right? And uh, other, other nice and tender things. I mean, we appreciate that, don't we, guys? There's some men in here that don't appreciate that. I can see by the look. They need to get their heart right with Jesus. Okay. The first thing is we notice that there is no one on earth that has perfect parents. All right. So uh, since the fall of mankind, we can't expect mom and dad to be perfect. They're not going to be perfect. In fact, Bodie Bauckham said that even on your best day as a parent, you're not a very good parent because we're all sinners. We have problems. Well, they brought sin into the world. Eve did not have any training from her mother on how to be a mother. She had no girlfriends who had already had mother, had become mothers and share with you know, her all the things they need to do. Pretty sure there was no Lamaze class for them. The other problem is that they sinned before a child had been conceived and born. So her first child, like the rest of them, every one of them were all sinners, like the children that you have and the children my parents had. Everybody's a sinner. In fact, the Bible says that uh, David is talking about his sin with Bathsheba. He's repenting of it. And he says, my mother conceived me in sin. And so every person is a sinner. Every person born to us has problems. Uh, They had a perfect world, Adam and Eve did, until they traded it in for sickness, for disease, for emotional disconnectedness, Uh, You know, you want to say at this point, thank you very much. We also have to add, especially thanks for the pain in childbirth, which, by the way, God never intended to happen for women. It came as a result of the fall because God said, now in pain you will bring forth children. Genesis 2.18, everything God created was called good, we said, except for one special part of that creation. As Adam was having the animals of the world brought to him so that he could name them, Wouldn't it be amazing if God brought you all the animals of the earth and said, you give them a name and you did it? Adam had to be a very, very intelligent individual. He already has a language. He already knows his language. He's creative. He knows how to to name things different things. Now, we don't know exactly what he called everything. It doesn't matter. The point is, whatever he called them, God said, well, that's going to be their name. But God was doing something else. As God brought these animals to him, God was looking for something. Is there something that I've created already that would be a suitable helper, a suitable mate for my creation, Adam? And God said, as he looked at that, this isn't good. He couldn't find anything that would be a helper or a suitable mate for Adam at all, because obviously they're very different. And so uh, Adam uh, called the animals by a different name, and uh, he named them, but nothing was found suitable uh, to be his helper. God said, that is not good. So he's looking for uh, a chance to bring something good into Adam's life. God had a better plan. 
I want you to notice that God did not say something like this. Oh, uh, I'm going to keep my eye on the primates, on the monkeys, and maybe we'll check back in a couple billion years and see if one of them evolves into something that will be suitable for Adam. Uh, I don't think God did that. I know he didn't. God did not say, hey, let's wait a few billion years and see what the monkeys end up becoming. And the answer to that is no, he did not. Why? Because God doesn't believe in evolution. And the Bible doesn't teach evolution. God believes in creation out of nothing to something by his power. God had a better plan, and it's even better than we might have dreamed. He wanted something that exactly corresponded to Adam to help him and to complete him. See, when God said he wasn't good, it wasn't good, he was alone, it's because he was alone. And he couldn't be complete as long as he didn't have uh, that other part of him. So God made a woman. Now, I want to I make sure you understand what that means. It's not like he made Adam. When he talks about the creation of the world, he uses a Hebrew word, bara. And bara means he created, and he, and he made these things. And what he did with Adam was he took some of the dirt of the ground that God had made, and out of that, he created man, bara. That's what he did. And, and now we have a living, breathing individual. God breathed life into Adam, and he became a living man. He did not create Eve like he created Adam on purpose. Uh, he, he did not take more dirt of the ground. There's plenty of dirt. I can just make her, you know, uh, out, of, out of more dirt. And God said, no, I'm not going to make her out of dirt. He took a rib from Adam, and he formed it. And the word is not bara. It's not that he created her. It's, not, it's something totally different. It's a word meaning to build. It's the word in Hebrew, bana. You can just hear they're different words. And he took that rib and he built her. He fashioned her so that she would be the exact thing that, that he needed, something that was corresponding to him, exactly just as what he had to have. He did not choose different DNA. Theirs was the same. She was his helper and was suitable for him. Now the word helper is uh, pregnant with meaning and the way we understand that is to look at it in a different context and say, what kind of help is God talking about? What would he be for her? Well, in Hosea chapter 13, verse nine, it says, it is your destination, O Israel, that you are, I'm sorry, it is to your destruction, O Israel, that you are against me, against your help. He says to the nation Israel, there's only one thing that can help you. God says, it's me. And so that helper is extremely important. It's some that is someone has relied on very heavily. And God has said that I created a helper for her. It's somebody that he needs. It's somebody he has to have. And it says that she would be corresponding to him. Uh, that word for corresponding means that which is opposite. Now, I want you to, I want you to understand very carefully what I'm saying. I'm, I'm doing a little illustration up here. We have Adam over here, and we have Eve here, and it's somebody that corresponds to him. Picture them facing each other. Picture them uh, being together and looking at each other. And that's what he means by corresponding or opposite to him. He doesn't mean he's, she's completely different than him, but opposite him, as, as in the beginning. So we go back to John 1.1, and the text of Scripture says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We're talking about God the Father and Jesus the Son, and that verse says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That, that, that word with 
can be translated as toward. So when the curtain goes up on the story of creation, God and the Son were in complete unity facing each other. When the curtain went up, they're already there. It means equality. It means they're, they have oneness. It means they're together. That's what he's saying about the husband and the wife. She completely corresponds to him. She's in front of him, not in terms of a leader following, but uh, they're right there together, all right? And she's out in front of him. Like John 1.1, 1, 1, Eve then was equal and adequate to himself, to Adam. By God's design, Adam and Eve were destined to rule, to subdue the earth, have fellowship with uh, godliness and with God, and to reproduce in the earth. It is very significant that she was taken out of the man. They have a close name in Hebrew. He's a man and she's a woman. And for Hebrew, the man is Ish and the woman is Isha. He just added a feminine form to the same word. Uh, they are different than all the animals. They are bone of each other's bone. They are flesh of each other's flesh, not animal. They were made in the image of God. And the theological phrase for that is the Imago Dei, uh, the image of God. No one else on earth was made that way. Not a monkey, not a lion, not anyone else. Eve, however, decided one day to usurp the authority that God had given her in this relationship, and she listened to Satan, and so the Bible tells us they fell into sin. Where once they had complete intimacy, now they feel shame. Sin has polluted everything in creation. It's not the way God wanted it to be. When I go to chapter 4 and verse 1 of Genesis, what I'm noticing here is that they moved to the point after they had sinned, after they'd been kicked out of the garden, that Eve is going to have her first child. And it says, now the man had relations. That word in Hebrew means to know her. So it has sexual connotations there, obviously. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said... I have gotten, or another way to translate that word is I have created a man-child with the help of the Lord, with the help of Yahweh. I have created a man with the Lord, okay? Now, Adam had a little part in that. He got, he got things rolling with that, but then he's done. You know, he's off watching football while Eve is working on this child. And it says that she created a man-child with the Lord so that when a woman is pregnant, God is working with her. And, excuse me, and she is working with God, and together they're creating a life, a human being, someone in the womb, something that is precious. It's going to be like them, the same DNA, and it's going to be, it's going to be uh, the fruit of her womb. And I want us to understand that. God said she and him, and she recognizes, created a, a child together. But now there is sin. A beautiful thing is now fraught with pain and joy mixed together in the birthing process. And both of those are played out in obstetric birthing rooms around the world every day. Uh, that has not been escaped and never will be until God changes us. Soon they also experience the death of a child because of a murder. One child murders another. And that's in spite of the fact that God himself came and warned Cain not to do what God knew was in his heart. To murder his brother. Why? Because he's jealous that his brother's sacrifice was accepted before God and his was not. And God warned him, but he did it anyway. Now there's Adam and Eve. 
and one of their children has been murdered by one of their children. And there's no psychiatrist there. There's no psychologist. There's no family therapist. There's no uh, family uh, parental grieving group for them to go to. There's no grief support. There's no pastoral counseling. But they did have God. And God walked with them in the garden. And I'm sure God worked to take care of the pain in their hearts because there's nothing greater for a parent to go through than the loss of a child. Well, the mother of all the living, and there's a great contrast here, has helped to make living difficult for every person to follow through their sin. There are no perfect parents ever. Their children will have to decide what to do with God, like Cain was called on to decide and he made the wrong decision. Now we're going to jump to our, our next lady and uh, the mother we want to look at, and that's in Matthew chapter 1, and then we're going to go to Luke. Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to learn here that God finds a godly girl, and I'm going to call her a girl because she's a, a very young lady. God finds a godly girl and chooses her to be the mother of the God-man, Jesus the Messiah. Now, I want you to think about what just happened. Eve made it painful for everyone. Eve made the birthing process a thing of great pain. She messed it up, her and Adam. But, and this isn't the first one, but we run into a, a young lady who is defying the curse who is defying our need as being, as being born sinners to do what is wrong, to follow our own way, to disregard God. And this, this young lady didn't do that. It says in verse 18 of chapter 1 of Matthew, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows when his mother Mary had been betrothed, or if you will, engaged to Joseph, before they came together. In other words, before there was any sexual uh, activity between them, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's a head-scratcher. What? How can, how can you be pregnant without having sex with your husband? How can that happen? And she's, she had never had that. And when Joseph found out that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, he never touched her until after Jesus was born, not in a sexual way anyway. So we meet a young woman named Mary who is engaged to a man named Joseph to be his wife. You're supposed to be faithful in those days. You're supposed to be sexually pure in those days of that year engagement. And now she shows up as somebody that is pregnant. Somebody that is sexually inexperienced is now pregnant. Everybody knows how they think that happened. She's been unfaithful, but she hasn't. And she wants the one she is committed to in marriage to please understand what had happened, even though this has never happened before. Try to wrap your mind around this. This is something God has called me to do, and the Holy Spirit has made it possible for me to do. She is facing possible divorce because Joseph doesn't know what to believe until God talks to him because of what uh, he believes that she has done and what everybody in Nazareth thinks. Uh, that, yeah, she had to be unfaithful. Yeah, she, she's a little hussy out there running around. She says what she wants, but we know she's been unfaithful because she's obviously pregnant. So the rumor mill in Nazareth was, it had to be a, a buzz. <clears throat> Excuse me, had to be in a buzz. Well, I want you to focus on who is Mary. She was a young woman from Nazareth in Galilee. 
she was a virgin. And in any culture, that is hard for a girl to maintain. But she did it. If you want to look with me at Luke chapter 1. I would like to read uh, verses 26 and following. Find out who this girl was. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. In the Greek text, her name is really Miriam. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of a greeting, what kind of a salutation is this? You see, she's a very humble young lady. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have, noticed found favor with God. And behold, meaning God is going to do something, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be, he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Quite a prediction for a young lady to, to hear. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary, you're going to have a king. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Now, that's the third time she's said that, and it's been said of her. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High, so now we know it's a supernatural thing, will overshadow you. And for this reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth is also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. That's important because she's going to go see Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is going to say something very profound about her. And that is, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. We know that to be Jesus. Well, uh, she is a righteous girl. She's a godly girl. She was favored by God, and God took note of her. Second uh, Chronicles 16, 9a says, The eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the whole earth to find a heart that is completely his. And when he does, he strongly supports it. Now, that's not the only place where that happens. So if you would take your Bible, I want you to see a couple of these. Like in Psalm 42, we get the same idea. Because I want you to know what God is doing. All right, Psalm 42, and I'm sorry. Psalm 14, verse 2. I'm not looking at that correctly. Psalm 14, verse 2. It says this, The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. Now, in the day that this was written by the psalmist, David, uh, the, the things were bad and he couldn't find anybody. Uh, that he says there is no one like that who seeks after God. Mary is a girl that seeks after God. Now Proverbs fifteen three. Proverbs fifteen three. I think these are all in your bulletin. It says the eyes of Yahweh are in every place watching the evil and the good. God knows what's going on everywhere. And then in Zechariah chapter four. And verse 10, it says, For who has despised the day of small things? But these seven will be glad when they see the plumb line 
in the hand of Zerubbabel who's going to build the temple. Plumb line is this weight on a string and it shows you exactly what straight up and down is. All right, so it goes on to say here, these are the eyes of Yahweh which range to and fro throughout the earth. All right, what is Yahweh doing? What is, what is the, the thing going on there? I want you to look in uh, Joel, I'm sorry, Amos. Chapter 7 and verse 8. Then we'll take a break here for a minute from looking stuff up. This is about the plumb line. It says, the Lord said to me, what do you see, Amos? And he said, I see a plumb line. And the Lord said, behold, I'm about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. In other words, God has a standard that he wants us to hold to, and that standard is straight and true and good in every way and righteous. It's a spiritual plumb line. And he holds it up to the nation of Israel and says, you guys are way off. You're not on the straight line. But he held it up to Mary, and she was right on. And the plumb line showed she is, she is a straight and righteous and godly young lady. That's after the fall. That's a girl that was born conceived in sin, but she found a relationship with God and she became righteous and holy. And what I'm saying is that uh, God looked around the earth and he found a woman who was righteous and stood straight in line with his plumb line, the plumb line of God. And you might say that God has looked for a woman to bear the Messiah, God's unique son, and his eye found Mary. She was a righteous woman with a heart for God. And what I'm trying to get you to see is that's all you need as a woman, as a mother, to have that kind of a heart. And it can be done because Mary did it. In Luke 1, 26 to 34 that I already read, the Virgin is mentioned three times, and that was the status of Mary while she was pregnant with Jesus. She did, she did nothing wrong. Why her? Because she was found, one found favor in God's eyes because of who she was in verse 28 of that Luke 1 passage. In the eyes of God, then he highly blessed her. You want to be blessed of God? Be like Mary. Gabriel told her that she had found favor in the presence of her God. She was humble, verse 29. We'll see more of that in a minute. And she was sold out to obeying the will of Yahweh in her life. That's all it takes. I want to be a good mother. I live righteously and godly, and I'm sold out to doing what God wants me to do. Whatever he says, I will obey. And she had faith that nothing was impossible for God. She said, how is this going to be? And, and she learns that nothing is impossible with God. And she believes it. And despite the rumors around town, Mary was a woman of God. Uh, the people in town didn't know what had happened. They probably wouldn't believe what had happened. But the point is, it did, and she was righteous. It didn't matter what other people were saying about her. So she writes something to magnify the Lord, starting in verse 46 of Luke chapter 1. We call it the Magnificat because the word in the uh, second stanza of uh, verse 46 says, My soul exalts the Lord. She was righteous, she was godly, she was humble, she was obedient. She believed that God could do anything. And that, my friends, is what God notices from heaven when he looks across the earth. And Mary said this of God who gave her this child, verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord. In other words, exalts him, makes him appear great as he is. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. 
for he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave, his servant. So we find out she's humble and she's a servant of God. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done a great thing for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. She's saying, I know that because I am one of those. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their own hearts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. And at that point, she was uh, about three months pregnant. Well, this is the girl God chose. There's not a thing in there that every woman in here can't do. It's a choice. So in the next portion, we learn that the mother of all the living messed it up. But Mary proves there is grace and significance for those women who choose to be righteous against God's plumb line. Mary did not become holy after God chose her. She was dedicated to holiness before God chose her. God had not stopped looking for her, nor has he stopped choosing uh, the strongly uh, dedicated to him to support them. Those hearts that Jesus finds today that are dedicated to him, he will strongly support. And that's you, Mom. She was a fully human girl, Mary was, born in sin, separated from God, but found grace from God. She is not now, nor was she ever a goddess. She never will be a goddess. Mary was an ordinary girl with an extraordinary heart for God. Any girl like this will catch God's attention, even today, to bless her. Mary was submissive to God's will for her and for his child. Mary had a heart that was completely God's. She trusted God, even with the issue of Joseph and is having difficulty with this whole thing. Elizabeth, her relative, commented to her, blessed are you among women. Why? Well, God chose you to bear the Son of God. God found you out of all the women of the earth. Uh, obviously, looking among the Jewish women, he had to be coming from the right family in the Jewish family to be God's king. But God saw her, and all it took was a girl that was living the right way, a girl that chose to do the right thing even though people in town were making fun of her. They didn't realize she was doing the right thing. So I want to bring this uh, around to a close. We have one more woman to talk about, and that's you, Mom. I want you to know you don't have to bear the Son of God to be blessed of God. Only one woman could do that role, and, and he picked a good one to do it. What can mothers learn from these women? Well, building a child in your womb is an amazing creative act for you and God to work on together. That's a very intimate act to, to uh, be sure. You don't have to bear the Son of God to be favored by God. Your prayer is that you will bear sons and daughters of God and raise them for God. Hundreds of thousands of kids owe their, in, their in eternities, I guess I should say their eternal life, to mothers just like you who sometimes are mothers without any help at home. Concentrate on leading your kids to Christ, and then blessed are you among women. 
You moms pray often while the rest of the family is playing. You are the number one prayer warrior for your kids. Blessed are you among women. Sorry, I'm in a lot of trouble with my voice. You mom, give your heart to Jesus, your husbands, and your kids. Blessed are you among women. You are a reasonable mother, not a smothering or domineering at home or outside the home. Blessed are you among women. You fix owies with kisses. You take care of bumps and bruises. You lift discouraged little hearts like the one in your kids and your husband. With encouragement and love, blessed are you among women. You are a cheerleader for all of your children and you love them no matter what. We call that unconditional love. Blessed are you among women. You care about their spiritual input and truth and you speak it in love. Blessed are you among women. You strive to be righteous, godly, submissive to Christ, loving to your husband, and you serve humbly. Often your lamp does not go out at night. Blessed are you among women. You desire to model Christ to your children. Blessed are you among women. You weep with those who weep, and you rejoice with those who rejoice. Blessed are you among women. You are the embodiment of tenderness and compassion to little hearts that depend on you. Blessed are you among women. You and Mary are the same kind of women. God sees you. When the plumb line is stretched, he favors you. Blessed are you among women. I'm really just about out of time. And what I want to do is close in prayer and pray for our moms. Let's pray, shall we? Lord God, please let our believing moms be favored by you. They mother in this confused and very sinful world that presents devastating pressures every day on them and on their children. Help them to focus on what matters to you about their hearts. Uphold them as they work to be godly in a society that despises you, Lord God, and despises those who love Jesus. Protect them in the storms of life. Shelter them in the palm of your hands. Encourage their hearts that they are vital, critical to the development of their children. Help them to know that you are the author of motherhood and it is a virtuous profession in your eyes you glorify their position help them to be righteous and godly and be submissive and humble before you please bless our moms and I pray this in the name of King Jesus the author of motherhood amen